We'll hear argument now in number 906616, James R. Stringer versus Leroy Black. Mr. Rose. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, James Stringer was convicted and sentenced to die in Hines County, Mississippi, for a killing during the commission of an attempted robbery. The jury found three statutory aggravating circumstances, one of which was the especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel aggravating circumstance. The jury then found that statutory aggravating circumstances were not outweighed by mitigating circumstances. The Mississippi Supreme Court affirmed Mr. Stringer's conviction and sentence after a, a review of the aggravating circumstances. The, the court below, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, again affirmed Mr. Stringer's sentence, relying on what it perceived to be Mississippi's rule of automatic affirmance. That is, there's at least one valid aggravating circumstance, despite the fact that there, the jury may have re also relied on an invalid or unconstitutional aggravating circumstance, the Mississippi Supreme Court would, would automatically affirm the sentence of death without individualized review. This court vacated Mr. Stringer's sentence and remanded the case for further consideration in light of Clemens versus Mississippi. The Fifth Circuit again affirmed the sentence, this time relying upon the non-retroactivity of Clemens versus Mississippi and Maynard versus Cartwright. Clemens and Maynard represent no new law. We rely on two fundamental principles central to this court's Eighth Amendment jurisprudence. Uh, counsel, just, just at the outset, uh, and you can uh, just do it in the course of your oral argument, but it seems to me the briefs don't meet very well. Mississippi is arguing that even if Clemens was dictated by Godfrey as to the, uh, the content of the aggravating factor, Mississippi wasn't the kind of state that Georgia uh, was or that Florida was or that Oklahoma was. And that I didn't see addressed in your brief, so I hope during the course of your argument you'll make that clear. Your, Honor, what your I position could, is. I could go ahead and address that now. Mississippi has always contended that it is a state like Florida. That is, it requires a finding of an, at least one statutory aggravating circumstance, and then the jury is required to weigh statutory aggravating circumstances against all mitigating circumstances, and the jury is required to make a unanimous finding that uh, statutory aggravating circumstances are not outweighed by mitigating circumstance. Mississippi has compared itself to Florida and has relied upon F Florida law in several cases, um, Coleman versus State, Evans versus State, Gilliard versus State. The, uh, the state contends that Mississippi is not like Florida because it says that there is a narrowing done in Mississippi at the definition of capital murder. Our, con our contention is even if that is true, even if Mississippi has defined capital murder in a way similar to Texas, um, where the, it, it makes a subclass of persons that may have committed murders eligible for the sentencing phase, that, is not a, that does not solve the constitutional problem. Because Mississippi then allows vague statutory aggravating circumstances to be relied upon by the censor uh, and puts emphasis on those circumstances. In order to be eligible for the death penalty in Mississippi, you have, the jury must make that unanimous finding that aggravating circumstances are not outweighed by mitigating circumstances. So the fact that Mississippi has, has allowed a vague aggravating circumstance to be considered and relied upon by the jury 
is a constitutional violation. Well, but, but of course, the further question is whether or not that's, that's a new rule under Teague. And it, it seems to me uh, that Mississippi um, makes an important point that has to be, uh, that you have to counter uh, when it says that this simply was not anticipated uh, as of the time of Clemens because of the differences in the states, in the two states' sentencing schemes. Your Honor, um, Florida has narrowing, and I, I think that's a, that may be a misconception that Mississippi has narrowing, Florida does not, and then there's balancing in Mississippi and then in Florida. Florida has narrowing by the initial finding of an aggravating circumstance. Mississippi has narrowing either by the definition of capital murder or by the initial finding of a, of a statutory aggravating circumstance, but then they both require a weighing. So they're similar in the, res- in the respect they both have some initial narrowing, but then they both require aggravating circumstances, statutory aggravating circumstances, to play a central role. And if, and this court has always held, that if a statutory aggravating circumstance is vague, even if it's at that point where it's, it's determining eligibility for the death sentence, where, where aggravating circumstances are weighed with mitigating circumstances, then there's constitutional error. This court held in, in Zamp where there was an initial narrowing by, a, by an aggravating circumstance, a valid aggravating circumstance, that there still needed to be an individualized determination of the effect of an unconstitutional aggravating circumstance. And this court accepted Georgia's representation that the effect was, uncon- was inconsequential in Georgia because statutory aggravating circumstances played no special role under the Georgia, played no role under the Georgia scheme beyond the initial narrowing. So the problem in Mississippi and the problem in Georgia um, in, that the court discussed in Zant that was a cause of constitutional error in Zant was not that there was no narrowing at all. The problem was that there was a consideration by the jury of a vague statutory aggravating circumstance that introduced an arbitrary and capricious Well, uh, Mr. Mr. Rose, uh, I understand Mississippi says it relied on on Zant. Clemens has been decided. We, we know that Mississippi is a different situation from Georgia in that respect. But so far as a new rule under Teague, I think you have to show that Mississippi was not entitled to rely uh, on, on Zant, uh, that it, it would have come as a surprise or wh- wh- whatever, whatever Teague says. And to simply show that the two systems are somewhat different, I don't think suffices. Your Honor, I would, I would agree. I think, I think that, first of all, um, Godfrey said that you cannot consider vague aggravating circumstances. That's your Maynard point. That's not your Clemens point, or to, to go back to the Fifth Circuit's analysis. Your Honor, our, our Clemens point is that there must be some individualized cure once the, the sentencer has considered a vague statutory aggravating circumstance. And that has always been the case. That was the case even in Georgia where the statutory aggravating circumstance, the vague statutory aggravating circumstance, played no role. So our position is that Georgia required an individualized review, and this court, this court approved Georgia's application of, of its statute in part because it did require some individualized review. Well, you know, the, that, that probably shows your case is different from Zant, but I think you have to go further uh, in, in Teague and show that uh, Clemens was not a new rule. Yes, Your Honor, we do have to show Clemens is not a new rule, and I, I think we can. I think if you look at California versus Ramos, it's just an example. This court said that there had to be some 
substantive, there are some substantive limitations on the factors that the, that the uh, censor can consider in determining whether death is the appropriate punishment. And it says what those substantive limitations are. It says those limitations are consideration of vague factors. That's apart from any consideration of the narrowing role, of the initial narrowing role that every statute must provide. There, in other words, there's a procedural requirement that every death penalty statute must meet, and that is it must circumscribe the persons eligible for the death penalty. And then it may allow the censor to consider a myriad of factors in determining punishment. But one factor we know, and we've known it since Ant, we've known it since California versus Ramos, one factor it may not allow juries to consider are vague, aggravating circumstances. And the reason that is so is because it, it introduces an arbitrary and capricious factor into the sentencing proceeding. We don't know what the juries considered when they considered vague, aggravating circumstances. Are and you that, talking about Maynard now? Or? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the, the, what, was, what was applied in Maynard. Yeah. It was a rule that was not even discussed, I might add. But you're going to get to Clemens pretty soon, I guess. Yes, Your Honor. The, I'll, I'll go on to Clemens. Well, that's all right. Do your, I just thought you were about to talk about Clemens. So, um, Clemens has, has stated that there is some requirement of individualized review. And in, in particular, it said a weighing state may, re, may allow the state appellate court to either reweigh or apply a harmless error analysis as long as there is some individualized review of the facts and circumstances of the case. That is not new law. That has been the rule since Eddings, Zant, and Barclay. In Barclay, for example, this court, this court reviewed an, in, an invalid aggravating circumstance that was not constitutionally invalid, but was invalid as a matter of state law. This court said in Barclay that the critical question was whether the invalid aggravating circumstance so infected the balancing process created by the Florida statute that it was, that it was constitutionally impermissible to allow the sentence to stand. Now, that requires individualized review because it looks at the statute, the Florida statute, the balancing process that has been established, and it requires the state appellate court to do some individualized consideration of the factors that were presented in the court below. Well, you deduce all of that just from that one sentence in Barclay? Your Honor, that, no, sir. That, there, was, there was more language in Barclay. They talked about Barclay applying a harmless error test that considered the fact that there were no, no mitigating circumstances introduced in Barclay and said that, that, Bar, that the, court, the Florida court did do individualized review and said that was what was important. There's specific language in Barclay that supports our position that said what, what is required is some individualized review, some individualized consideration of the facts and circumstances of the case. The vast majority of state and federal courts since Zant and Barclay have understood the required analysis. They've understood first you had to determine whether or not there were vague, aggravating circumstances employed in the sentencing determination. If there were, then the court had to do some determination, individualized determination, of the effect of those aggravating circumstances. That, that individualized consideration had to, had to also include a consideration of the mitigating factors that were introduced in the court below. Mississippi has done none of that, and it stands alone in doing none of that until Clemens. This court's decisions 
um, on retroactivity during the last three or four years have had one unifying theme, and that is similarly situated persons must be treated alike. Uh, and for that reason, it's particularly important that the two basic principles that James Stringer asked to be applied in his case have already been applied in a post-conviction context. In Parker versus Duger, this court applied in a post-conviction context the, the principle that there must be some individualized review of error. There was a question whether there was error. There was, the state of Florida said, yes, there is error under state law, and apparently did not apply an individualized review, either a harmless error test or a reweighing. And this court said that, that at a minimum, some individualized review is required applying the principles in Clements. That is the same principle that James Stringer seeks to have applied in his case. It has already been applied in a post-conviction context. Secondly, in, in Lewis versus Jeffers, this court applied the basic principle that, that James Stringer seeks to have applied in this case in his case, and that is you cannot use a vague statutory aggravating circumstance in determining, in determining sentence. Um, now, Arizona, the question, in, again, in Lewis versus Jeffers was on the periphery. Well, had Arizona developed a case law that has narrowed the construction of, of its equivalent of the especially heinous, trust, or cruel aggravating circumstance in such a manner that it was not applied in a, in a vague way? And the court answered that question, yes. But the basic principle that you could not use vague statutory aggravating circumstances was, was accepted. And there was no debate that that principle should be applied in Lewis versus Jeffers. In conclusion, this court has, was right to apply on habeas review the, the long-established principles that, that were the premise for Cartwright and Clements, including that the censor cannot rely upon vague statutory aggravating circumstances. And if the censor does rely on such circumstances, there must be some type of individualized review by the state appellate court to cure the error. That was the law now, that is the law now, and that was clearly the law in 1985 when James Singer's conviction became final. Thank you, Mr. Rose. And Mr. White, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, in Gregg and in Zant both, <clears throat> This court stated that each distinct scheme for imposing the sentence of death on a defendant must be examined on an individual basis, and that's what we're asking you to do with the Mississippi scheme here. In order to answer the question that is before the court today, that is whether Clemens or Maynard are to be retroactively applied, we must examine how the Mississippi statutory scheme works and, uh, and operates in the imposition of a death sentence. Uh, this is because a scheme found in Mississippi is almost unique. There's only one other state that has a statute like that, and that is Louisiana. And was Lowenfield versus Phelps from Louisiana? Yes, ma yes, Your Honor. And did we say there that only one narrowing procedure is constitutionally required? You said that there in Lowenfield that, um, and I interpret it as saying yes, mm -hmm. that in Lowenfield that it, the Constitution, the last sentence of the opinion says that the narrowing, the constitutional narrowing is done by the finding of guilt of one of the narrowly defined crimes and the Constitution requires no more. So then the state is permitted to use vague aggravating circumstances thereafter if it wants to. Is that the theory? Well, they are, the, that is not the theory that the, it does not 
infringe on the Constitution to have those aggravating circumstances, if they are even vaguely defined, in comparison with Godfrey even, or, or Zant, I should say, is that... Well, your position is that they can be vague and uh, under a standard that you would apply to a constitutional inquiry, but still stand up. That's correct. That's your, so that Maynard doesn't apply at that's, all. That's correct, and, and because, as in Johnson v. Thigpen, the, as the Fifth Circuit found, and as we have argued, contrary to counsel opposite, that we have always said we were like Florida, we have not. The decision in, in Johnson v. Thigpen would not be there had we argued otherwise. Well, uh, it's in, in this case, it was still necessary to find an aggravating circumstance. That's correct, under state law. Yeah, and so the jury had to uh, find uh, an aggravating circumstance. That's correct. In addition to the narrowing. That's correct. And uh, so, and you say the jury could be uh, <coughs> could uh, satisfy that requirement by by uh, by finding a aggravating circumstance that's just plain outright vague. That's correct, because it's not constitutionally required. Well, your brother, I think. Well, I know, but, you're, but, but the state law requires it. That's correct. Well, I think your brother is arguing that you've got a two-step narrowing procedure, and, and he is him saying, at least I think he's saying implicitly, that if you do employ a two-step narrowing procedure, the standards applicable to the, we'll say, the second step uh, should be the same applicable to the first, and there's nothing, there's nothing new about applying a given standard the only thing different about your situation is that you have a two-step process rather than a one-step process. Well, if in Lowenfeld and the Mississippi statute operates as does the Louisiana statute, if, if the narrowing that all the Constitution requires is that narrowing to, to limit the class of people who, upon who the death penalty may be imposed is constitutionally completed or established by the finding of guilt of one of the narrowly defined crimes, as in Lowenfeld said, the Constitution requires no more, if we on a state law basis go further and require uh, a, a further narrowing, uh, we contend that doesn't implicate well, the Constitution. Didn't the, didn't the Fifth Circuit find uh, this instruction, uh, this uh, instruction invalid for vagueness? In, in this case? Yes. No. Well, I mean, they, they never reached that. They just said it was that, that, uh, that Teague did not apply. I mean, that Teague barred its application on remand the first time through. They, they said that if it is vague or invalid in this particular case, uh, yes, that the, uh, there were other valid aggravating circumstances that allowed this uh, to be affirmed. And the, the issue, of course, uh, going back that the Fifth Circuit's opinion in, in Johnson v. Thigpen, uh, we, we say that even, even if this is, uh, is, is be looked at this way, that Lowenfeld, I mean, Lowenfeld and, and, um, and Johnson v. Thigpen both allow us to rely on this as a new rule, uh, especially uh, in Maynard. I mean, Maynard coming from Godfrey and, and the Fifth Circuit held in, in Johnson v. Thigpen that a, this very instruction was not even cognizable in habeas. Well, in, in your view, are Lowenfeld and Clemens contradictory? To, to some extent. When, when, you, when you say that the aggravating circumstances in uh, Mississippi take on a constitutional significance, then then it conflicts with uh, Lowenfield in that respect. That we have to do, they also have to meet the the uh, same test as the narrowing factors that the court held required no more in Lowenfield. Of course, you you didn't 
argue that in Clemens, or, and we didn't address it in Clemens. You didn't address it in Clemens. It is argued not as forcefully as it is here, uh, but it was argued that the, the aggravating circumstances in Mississippi do not have the same constitutional significance as they do in Georgia, Florida, and Oklahoma. That, uh, that said, the argument is made there in, in Clemens, and it was made uh, before that in Johnson v. Mississippi. But it, it would seem that if it were a matter of <coughs> a, a new rule of, of the significance you say, that we would have addressed it in Clemens. Probably so, but we, we weren't discussing, I don't think, new rules at that point of whether this was a new rule. In Clemens, this, the court started off its opinion by saying that we are now addressing the, the question that we left open in Zant. Uh, I mean, I think that that is almost a total answer to the question whether it's a new rule or not there, because if the court has never spoken to this issue, and they speak to it, and, they, and, they, and that's what the court said, the opinion says in, in Clemens, we now address that question we left open in Zant. And our court had been relying on Zan all this time uh, in, in doing so. And, and now Clemens comes down and says uh, that you have to do it a different way, that you have to do a reweighing or a, a harmless error analysis now instead of just uh, what you have been doing under Zan or relying on Zan in, in doing that. So the, <coughs> as of course, have we said, the aggravating factors un, under the Mississippi statute or act as a, actually a second filter that's not constitutionally required. Um, and, of course, uh, reading Lowenfeld, that I think is, it is consistent with the way the Mississippi statute operates, is that uh, the, these aggravating factors take on a different significance in, under the Mississippi statute, under the Louisiana statute, than they do in uh, Georgia, Florida, and Oklahoma. Uh, we define narrowly, as does Texas. We re define narrowly, as does Louisiana. And this court has said that no more was required. So if, if Clemens stands for the fact that, yes, there is, uh, these, these aggravating circumstances in Mississippi do have constitutional significance, then that is a new rule because it has not been stated before and as relying on the ruling in Johnson v. Thigpen uh, out of the Fifth Circuit where they said the aggravating circumstances had no constitutional significance, were not even cognizable in, in uh, federal habeas, and that, that takes care of both uh, Maynard and, and uh, Clemens as being new rules there because both of them address aggravating circumstances uh, and the same aggravating circumstance for that matter. Um, in other words, the, the court is actually for the first time saying that relevant, admissible, truthful evidence presented during, uh, the, to the jury during the sentence phase of a capital trial uh, was given constitutional significance because it was denoted an aggravating circumstance. In Georgia, uh, the statute there, and the court has said there that that narrowing is performed by the aggravating circumstance, and then the jury can consider anything. It doesn't have to be defined. It's wide open. They consider the whole myriad of aggravating factors, but they're not statutorily listed, and they can consider any evidence that's before them that's relevant. relevant. Why does it change because we denoted an aggravating factor and, and basically limit that to that in that respect? Well, I gather that the Mississippi Supreme Court has compared itself really more to Florida. I don't, and it has assumed that Maynard and Clemens apply to it. Uh, yes. I, I think you're arguing a position not taken by your state Supreme Court. I, I think that they they took that, Isn't that tack right? after. 
Well, in, in Clemens, it's the first time they actually took that tack. It said, yes, it is. Up until that time, the court said no, and in the uh, concurring opinion in Johnson, uh, Jones versus State, Monica, uh, um, Monte Carlo Jones versus State, the, um, the concurrence talks about Johnson v. Thigpen and says um, the federal courts, uh, being the neutral observers, have found no constitutional infirmity or even constitutional necessity in our aggravating circumstances. Uh, yes, I think, I think on, a, on a state law basis, or they have looked to Florida somewhat in the aggravating circumstance area. Uh, but but they, they stand for different purposes. I mean, Florida's aggravating circumstance, and our state has, has uh, given some significance to these. You know, under state law, this is the way that it has to be. Uh, and and we have, you have to find these things in order to take that, that second step uh, and weigh those aggravating mitigating circumstances, and then the jury must find whether or not death is the appropriate sentence after and if the uh, aggravating circumstances outweigh, I think, uh, in this particular case, the, it was outweigh the mitigating circumstances. Under the statute, the mitigating have to outweigh the aggravating, but that's no, um, uh, just here it was just turned around. Um, but, but we're considering uh, evidence, we don't have evidence coming to the jury that they couldn't have before them in any other, you know, it was totally admissible, everything that was considered in relation to the especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel aggravating factor. Uh, photographs, the argument, everything in support, even had it not been denoted an aggravating factor, the jury still could have considered it, and Mississippi does allow um, for the consideration of of non-statutory aggravating factors. They have to find the others, but the jury can certainly consider those. They, they have said in, uh, in Jordan versus State and just most recently in Hansen versus State that the jury certainly can consider uh, non-statutory aggravating circumstances. They can't rest a death penalty solely on that as, as a finding there, but they, they can certainly consider them in assessing whether or not the death penalty should be imposed. And that's uh, the ones that they have mentioned mainly as, as future dangerousness. Future dangerousness. Um, so so you, we, we look to that. They can consider these other factors other than that, but they do have to find uh, aggravate, an ag at least one aggravating circumstance. And uh, as we contend under Mississippi law, as contrary to, to Godfrey, the, a jury in Mississippi could never return a death sentence based solely on especially heinous, atrocious, and cruel. They have first always found that, that defendant guilty of one of the narrowly defined crimes, set out those seven crimes that out in our statute that carry or elevate the crime to a, a capital murder offense. And then after they've been convicted of that, then the jury must look at aggravating factors. We have never had a jury come back with a verdict even at that and have solely the especially heinous, atrocious, cruel aggravating factor as the only aggravating factor that they considered. Uh, so even if you had a, uh, as Justice Souter was talking, the second narrowing or a double narrowing statute, and we've called it a double narrowing statute. You know, that's, that's not something that we have not used a term um, in, in describing our statute that is a double narrowing statute. Even so, when you look at that, it's what makes that, that second one the finding of one aggravating circumstance uh, then you get into a Zant-type analysis then, and what, what is the effect of the invalid aggravating circumstance at that point? Uh, does, it, does it then um, uh, skew that balance to the point, and, and of course looking at Barclay and Good, uh, 
and, and look at the type of analysis this court and the Florida court made in both those cases, it's, it's no different than what the Mississippi Supreme Court has been doing all these years in those cases. It's not what was stated in, in Clemens. Uh, petitioner uh, brings up uh, Parker versus Duggar. Of course, uh, retroactivity is not raised in Parker versus Duggar. Uh, it was not addressed in the briefs. It was not addressed in, at oral argument. Um, and whether, whether that was an oversight or whether it was whatever it was, we do not feel that it is, it is compelling or, or binding precedent that Clemens has to be applied in this case. The cases are differently situated anyway, because, you know, basically because of the way the statutes operate and, and because of the, the manner in which they do. Am I, am I correct that you did not make the Teague argument in Clemens? Teague was a direct appeal case, and we could not make That's the Teague. That's correct. There was, no, there was no Teague argument to make there. This, in fact... This case, Smith versus Black and Hill versus Black, all came to the Fifth Circuit after Clemens, uh, or either were, were, had already been decided, and this court sent back for reconsideration in light of Clemens. And our argument was there was that this case, in fact, this is a new rule, and that it is, um, um, you know, the, the Teague Bard uh, from, from retroactive effect of, of these opinions, both Maynard and of Clemens, the Fifth Circuit's main opinion in this, of course, is not in this case. It is in Smith versus Black, where Judge King has written a quite lengthy analysis of of why this this uh, these precedents, uh, this precedent, especially the Clemens precedent, is is not retroactive. Uh, in the particular case at Barr, the, the the Fifth Circuit basically just said we adopt and we we reaffirm and reinstate our, our earlier judgment based on Smith versus Black. Um, the same thing they have done also in, in a case called Hill versus Black, which was also sent back for reconsideration in light of Clemens. So we have uh, two other cases, at least two other cases, uh, um, uh, pending on this same issue in the Fifth Circuit, or before this court, in fact. Smith is already before this court. Um, but that, that is where the full opinion is, delineating how the Fifth Circuit arrived at that, and I think uh, Judge uh, King's analysis there is very clear that this is the first time that, that constitutional limits have been put on how aggravating factors are to be considered in Mississippi um, because of the difference in the statutes. Uh, and, and because we do have, and this, and this court's precedent allows for uh, difference, of, uh, difference in the manner in which we apply our statutes or the statutes that operate, then we, consider, we contend that we have to look at the individual statute and how it operates in order to decide whether or not certain precedents would have retroactive effect on that particular statute. And, of course, we would further contend that, the, um, uh, that this is a, simply a procedurally, and it doesn't fit into the exceptions of Teague either. Uh, the first, it doesn't outlaw any um, private conduct or anything like that. It's not a watershed rule. Uh, it, uh, it, both are decisions relating to procedurally flawed contemplation or review of relevant evidence, and that's, and that's not something that, that uh, would kick in the second uh, exception to T. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. White. Mr. Rose, do you have rebuttal? Yes, Your Honor, I do. The state's basic premise is that a state could reasonably permit, before Clemens and Cartwright, could reasonably permit the jury to consider vague statutory aggravating circumstances to determine eligibility under its state statutory scheme. 
Certainly a state can define its statutory scheme within broad contours. But if the state has determined that statutory aggravated circumstances play an important role in determining eligibility for sentence, as Mississippi has, each statutory aggravated circumstance must meet a constitutional narrow standard derived from Furman. Otherwise, and, Lo- and Lowenfeld is not controlling on that point because? Your Honor, Lowenfeld is, is not at all controlling and, and is, has no relevance to the question because Lowenfeld just defines the, the point where there has to be what, what is constitutionally permitted for a state to do. Louisiana was permitted to, def- to use the equivalent of aggravating circumstances at the definitional stage of, of first-degree murder. Mississippi was not permitted, and Lowenfield does not address what has happened in Mississippi, and that is, in, in this case, and that is after the, the initial narrowing stage is met, there is then injected a vague statutory aggravating circumstance, which the jury is told to put emphasis on and rely upon in determining further eligibility for a sentence. Lowenfield has nothing to do with that. Johnson versus Thigpen, in, in answer to Justice White's question, did the Fifth Circuit uh, find that the Mississippi's construction of a special heinous atrocious or cruel um, was vague? Um, the Fifth Circuit found that it was vague in Johnson versus Thigpen, and in later cases assumed that it had no narrowing construction that had been consistently applied. And it was only after, after it got to that point that it then, then decided, well, it didn't make any difference that this vague, aggravating circumstance um, played a role in determining the eligibility for punishment. Your Honor, they were wrong on that under Zant, because Zant well, said yes, yes. that it was constitutional error uh-huh. for, for the sentencer to consider vague statutory aggravating circumstances. Chief Justice Rehnquist, in his opinion, and Barclay called what this court did in Zant a, a constitutional harmless error test. In other words, there was, there was constitutional error, and what the court did in, in Zant was determine whether it had an effect on the censor. And the determination had to be made after careful scrutiny. Yeah, but didn't we, uh, in Zant, didn't this leave open the, the question of uh, the significance of the invalidity of one of several aggravating circumstances uh, in a, in a uh, balancing state, in a weighing state? Your Honor, the question is... is yes or no? Your Honor, the question is, is yes... But the, what was left open was whether or not a state was required to automatically reverse based on a vague state, in a weighing state, where we know that each statutory aggravating circumstance found by the jury um, plays an important role. That's the question this court answered against the petitioner in Clemens versus Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Zant, that was the question the court was also asking. Under Georgia law, did, was, was, the state of Georgia required to automatically reverse when the sentencer considered a vague aggravating circumstance. And it said, and the court answered well, the question. Surely, uh, surely Clemens was, uh, in that respect, uh, was a new rule in the Fifth Circuit, wasn't it? Clemens reversed the Fifth Circuit. Uh, I, I, Fifth Circuit <laughs> yeah. was wrong. So it was a new rule somewhere, and it... And it uh, <laughs> It did not reverse the Fifth Circuit in that case, since that came from the Supreme Court of Mississippi. Yes, sir. It disagreed with the, with the Fifth Circuit, and obviously when we disagree with the Fifth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit was wrong. That's, your honor. That's right, Your Honor. Uh, and, and not a single justice on this court differed on the analysis that the court applied in Clements. It was understood 
that once, once a sentencer relies upon a vague statutory aggravating circumstance, that, that, that there is error and the state well, that's must... The Maynard, that's the Maynard argument. The, the, uh, the, the counsel opposite has argued that Mississippi does not limit um, consideration in the weighing stage to, to just statutory aggravating facts supporting the statutory aggravating circumstance, and that's incorrect. And, and Mississippi has interpreted this law as very narrowly constraining what the jury may consider at the weighing stage. It has said in Coleman versus State that it can, the jury can only consider facts relevant to the statutory aggravating circumstance. And that's, that's significant, because in Zant, the question asked was, what is the function? The, the constitutional question is controlled by the function of, of aggravating circumstances under the state law. Well, Mississippi says we have, we have a prominent function under our law, and yet we're still going to ignore the effect of the vague statutory aggravating circumstance without, without any individualized review. That, that was impermissible as of Zant. That was impermissible as of Barclay versus Florida. And specifically in California versus Ramos, this court said that what Greg meant is that there are substantive limitations on, on factors that a censor may consider. And it didn't matter what ruling, in fact... Mr. Rose, uh, you've mentioned uh, California versus Ramos a couple times in your oral argument. Uh, apparently you don't cite it in your brief? No, Your Honor. You don't? I, I do not cite it in my brief. And, but the state cites it in their brief, and, and that's why I'm responding in this manner. The state has, the state has raised the point that we do not address, as, as Justice Kennedy um, stated before, we do not address because we considered it fundamental. The fundamental principle, and this court considered it fundamental in Maynard versus Cartwright and, and, and Clemens, the fundamental principle that if a vague aggravating circumstance is injected into the jury's consideration, there is constitutional error. Because that's what, that's what the problem was in Furman. That's what this court tried to cure or, or allowed to be cured in, in, in Greg versus Georgia and, and Profit versus Florida um, and, and found that it had not been cured in the particular case in Godfrey versus Georgia. If there are no further questions, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rose. The case is submitted.